Welcome to Daily Dose of Dr. Mary and Dee Dee. I'm Maz Mary. And I'm Dana DelVal. Whether you're a person on an addiction sobriety path, or you know someone who is, we're here to talk about our journey with it. And more importantly, we want to help end the stigma and shame of alcoholism. And we want to bring some hope and laughter along the way too. Thanks for tuning in. morning Good everyone happy freezing thursday um we were laughing because we're so well lit you know on these freezing days it's because the sun is out and when you're upstairs the sun's just streaming through i kind of feel like we need to demand this good yeah, light we, we need a piece of art here yeah i know it's a little bland but um it's all right you'll you'll uh be the splash of color for oh, that documentary. You. you're welcome blue. uh-huh so we have a great guest with us today on to talk about sort of a personal and a professional element to a larger conversation around behavioral health which of course addiction and alcoholism falls into but it is our friend andrea hochalter and so we're just going to bring her in and get started on the conversation because she's got lots and lots to say Good morning, Andrea. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good nice to, see, to you see you. Nice to see you too. I just realized I still have my phone turned on. So let's get oh. rid of those distractions right now. I, it's easy to do. I often find myself thinking, why did you even leave your phone near you in this instance? <laughs> but you know, it's like asking Linus why he always has his blanket with him. It's just what, <laughs> what our lives have become. My blanket's right over there. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, Andrea, talk to us a little bit. Let's start from the personal side of this. You've got a little bit of um, mental health story. You've got some personal health stories. Start with those pieces, and then we will fold them into how that has led to you being with the North, being an advisor to this North Dakota Behavioral Health Council. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So, my story and my lived experiences around behavioral health are firstly the large experiences were around mental health more recently they're around brain injury which falls into the behavioral health umbrella as well too and so on the personal side i the word unfortunate comes to mind but then the word blessed comes to mind as well too um have the blessing of my family of having people um friends you know family who have suffered in challenges of their own individual journeys with uh, mental health and largely with depression and anxiety, uh, far too common as we continue to learn in the world today, and severe mental health. Um, I have a daughter, I have two daughters, and one of my daughters attempted suicide in January of 2019. And, you know, it, it shocked our world. It was, uh, it beat us up. Um, she is alive. Um, it was, should have been a lethal attempt. Um, but by the blessings of God, she, she lived after a very long stay in ICU and hospitalization. Um, and even before her attempt, we knew that she was suffering. We knew she was suicidal. Um, didn't stop it by knowing it, uh, but I've learned a lot since uh, that it's important for me to share with others to prevent this, 
but then to support during the process as well too. Very, very much so. That's the gifts that have come out of this is one of them is my ability to share my experience. I don't have the answers, but I can support. You're not alone. I can walk in that journey together you know, with you. Um, I can put what my, my skills, whatever it is I have to work with on you know, any day um, to help others. Um, I also have um, a husband with anxiety and depression, and he has on his own path for um, treatment and, and well-being. Um, I have utilized psychologists um, over the years as well, too, thank goodness, um, to help. Uh, it's just it's so important to take care of our health, our behavior, health, and our whole well-being. That's where the majority, this is where that passion started to come from out of me in 2019 with these experiences. You, I don't know what's, what, what is a scientific term for, um, you know, when you see something, you start seeing it all over the place. You see the yellow car, right? Uh -huh. it's like, there, there's the name for that. Um, It'll come to it'll but it'll come to one of us. It's like, oh nobody has, you know, that kind of yellow car. Well then you see the yellow yep. car all over. Yep. And I think there's a part of that that happened with our experience with mental health and with suicide. And then people reaching out because they've learned that we've had an experience. And then I naturally started, you know, becoming a person to listen. And, and so it's just naturally grown since 2019. And I've had a little more time on my hands in the last year is I had a, a brain injury. I had a, a tumor removed from my head, successfully removed. And I've had some time on my hands during recovery. And I've said, I'm going to use this time as some discernment as well. It's like, where am I going with this? I've lost some of my ability temporarily, temporarily, cognitively. <laughs> um, so, and my capacity to do everything I was doing before, but okay, now what can I do? Where am I being led? During this time, I had, I had just been appointed to the North Dakota Behavioral Health Council, but was not able to roll up my sleeve because of my own personal recovery. And it's recently in this you know, last year, last handful of, of months, We'll say a year, but like I said, it feels like it's only been a handful of months, one, because of the world around us, and two, because it's just the volume of information and what I'm seeing um, through this council, the eyes of the council. Uh, I bit, was able to get involved and appointed by uh, Governor Burgum to serve, uh, and my representation is as a consumer on the North Dakota Behavioral Health Council. So I represent other family members uh, with family loved ones uh, with severe mental health illness. Uh, and so that, that's my roles to serve as a consumer representative. Mm -hmm. So um, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, because I know you and, and so then, you know, know of your family through you, I feel like you are a perfect example of Boy, on social media, you guys look amazing. You're very attractive. You're successful. You appear to be very happily married. You have these beautiful daughters. You travel. You've had an interesting professional career. I think the stakes are at once higher for someone like you to come out and talk about 
these kinds of struggles in your family and so much and provide so much value to everybody because it's it's another vital reminder that mental health is not about well obviously they have mental health they're poor or they don't mm-hmm. you know they're not well educated or they're it's fill in the blank it, mental health is like alcoholism it doesn't care what your bank account says it doesn't care where you got your degrees from it doesn't care about any of that um and so i i feel that those of us who can present a pretty successful highlight reel really have an obligation to show the other side if we if we if it's something we struggle with mm-hmm. so thank you for doing that um, and I know you're not just doing it here, but thank you for that. Um, so, okay, Governor Burgum appointed you to this advisory capacity with the North Dakota Behavioral Health Council. Uh, you sent us a number of links. Let me put this one up into the chat. It's also um, it's also up for anybody who is watching on any of the streams. You can find it in the oh, terrific. But this this dashboard is just incredible. Yeah. Uh, the amount of work that this that this council has taken on. I sent you this link in a new email, so you might have to pull that up. Because this is not a small task that the advisory committee or the council has been tasked with. So what can you tell us about the the process of even determining what does North Dakota need in terms of thinking about behavioral health? Where are we and where do we need to go? And I will preface um, by saying I'm I'm speaking as Andrea Holcalter. I am not a representative of the state. Okay. And this this work, this dashboard that you see through um, HSRI, this was in place, implemented. It's a work in progress, right? Especially since it's dashboard and this gets updated quarterly as we have our council meetings. Um, It was in progress uh, before I joined the council. And as I joined the council, I joined because I'm passionate about behavioral health. And I had these experiences. I wanted my voice to be heard, right? Like they need to hear from a mom, you know, with a suicide um, survivor and what that is like. And, and I, I'm doing that. <laughs> However, when I joined the council and these layers started getting peeled back for me of what this work was about, of what was happening at state level, at, you know, um, county level, in the regions as they're divided about the between, you know, human services in the state and, you know, some different people that have come in and speak or just even the council members. We have a, a council of 30 members with much broader representation than just consumers. And I I was blown away in a really, really, really good way. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it made me feel that there's more hope for us as a state, as a community, as people, that the challenge is huge, huge. We're doing the right things. And mm. and that big part of it too is, is I, I 
you know, I'll give a shout out to Governor, you know, Burgum. Um, like I said, the studies were in place in 2016, the first, um, some of the studies that this report will reference, and he came into office 16. So some studies have been into place. Um, the work more so in 2008, 2019, the, you know, refocus on recovery invented, I believe has been a catalyst in, in mm -hmm. ways to the existing work at play, but he's a champion and we need champions. So, Yes. I'm I'm curious to know as you were going through this uh process with your daughter in 2019, mm -hmm. what did you find the state of care and access to be as a consumer? The great vast unknown. Um, you don't know what you don't know. And so I, what's that? We had utilized some ther licensed therapists in, in the past um, without the need for such intense care at a critical time, okay? And so this, the story for uh, her is, I actually just picked her up one day from work. I knew something was wrong. And I found some a piece of paper that said, I'm sorry, on her bed. Mm. It didn't feel right. No. Nope. I picked her up from work and took her straight to a therapist. I spent the afternoon calling all around to find somebody, somebody that could take her. Now, this is in 2019. And, at the, you know, I wasn't going through a long list of credentials and references. I just need somebody with an opening now. Yeah. And I found somebody. Wow. And so we went there. Um, thank goodness. And that day I found out about her suicidal ideation and her high likelihood of follow through and what her plan was. So we were, you know, in, in crisis. So it, we needed to the active crisis management and support got through that day day by day right mm -hmm. <laughs> have your plan mm -hmm. and so we found somebody thank goodness that day crazy my experience um though in hindsight is that we needed a team of people not one licensed therapist um, because of where she was at, um, so critical. We needed more family support right then and there as well, too, because we didn't understand, we didn't know. Um, I needed education. Since I've gone through a lot of education on mental health and you know suicide prevention, um, locally, huge shout out, shout outs to First Link. And mm. I no longer hold back to say, you seem a little bit off today. Um, I hear you talking about XYZ. Are you thinking of hurting yourself? You know, are you having suicidal thoughts? That's love, right? That's love. They didn't, I didn't know how to do that before. Mm -hmm. And I want to change that. We need to normalize the conversations. Um, and that starts at a very young age and it has to happen wide. But um, so when those, those are things that I didn't know about. And so resource-wise, we'll talk about those today. 
And then when we were um, in the hospital, so she was an intensive care unit at Sanford Health Children's Hospital. Again, huge, huge shout out. Dr. Storm saved her life. Um, it was a unique overdose situation um, because of the mixture uh, that was injected, consumed. And uh, we were, we had a, a social worker because she was a minor. And so we had a social worker um, who was telling us what's next, what's next, what's next. And um, there had to be hospitalization after the hospitalization, psychiatric hospitalization. And that part, yeah, I, I would like I would like a redo. Um, and mm. I would like to uh, I'd like to be that person sometimes to change some of my experiences. The woman was professional. She knew her job. She was lovely. And what I'd like to change is it felt more like a okay, I've called all around the state. I found one bed for you, one bed that we can get her in. Uh, but it's kind of dependent upon them uh, about another person being released. So if that person's released, we could get this timing out and you can go there. I'm like, well, what if I don't want her to go there? Mm. What if we want her closer to home? What yeah. if I want her in a total different facility of my choice? And so I started picking up the phone and calling around. Um, I started utilizing some of my contacts that I have, some of them behavioral health field, to start educating myself. What do I look for? What are the questions that I ask? How do I do this? Just versus being told, your daughter's getting the ambulance and she's being sent here because that's where the opening is at. That that didn't feel good. No. Yeah. <sighs> mm. It's hard to hear these stories. Can I ask how old your daughter was? At this time? At that time, she was 16 in okay. January. Okay. So she was young. I mean, that's young to be dealing with all of this and to potentially be halfway Wait, across. Did I say 1692? Where's the year? <laughs> it is just 2017. That's it. Okay. okay. All right. Still young. Just Still very young. Years. What year is yeah. it? Yeah, well, we've lost so many years because of COVID. Who can keep track of anything? Um, okay, so so you then, I actually am really um, happy is not the right word, but I, I'm happy to hear I'm that happy to. your report is not, hey, it was great. We had we had incredible support. Blah, mm -hmm. Because if that were the case, then what's the study about and what's the hard work for? So I have a question for you, Andrew. Andrew. Sure, ago, I'm not going to say which year. I, I'm going to say a while ago. One of our <laughs> former guests, could have been last year, could have been the year before. Um, Senator Mathers was talking, Mathern, yes. was talking yeah. about the funding for a new state hospital. And I think yes. it's still being busy. James. 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 Everyone wanted a centralized facility. Huh. I can see what they want. They wanted somewhere where you could easily get from the state of North Dakota. But, and I talked about this too, when I was in rehab, the fact that I was in the town that I called home helped me. Mm -hmm. Do you think, or how imperative is it in your opinion, and I, your opinion should be valued because you work and live with local um, facilities in local sections how is, is there a truly a benefit to that? 
So that's uh, a great question and, and remark. Uh, thank you for thinking back to your previous guest in that conversation. So the state hospital, yes, the study is still in place. So an external organization was hired to perform a study and report back. And I did participate was it last month on in a town hall conversation that they facilitated. Um, and so it's actively in work right now. I think some pre preliminary uh, reports are starting to come in. I have not seen them. And so with the state hospital, uh, my, I will say the council has you know spoken and we have put together a resolution of where we stand and what our recommendation is. And um, I'll, I'll speak to, as Andrea again, um, and I think largely what I'm gonna say is in line with what our resolution is as well. So the state hospital, um, it's crumbling, it's falling apart, it's over a hundred years old. Um, it, it, the way I think about it is, I, uh, my, uh, my daughter was not at the state hospital. She was in a different facility, um, actually in Red River and Grand Forks. It's mm -hmm. closed. It's beds oh. that we no longer have in the state. However, not ding in the state because we do have beds. Okay, um, other solutions have been figured out in Grand Forks, but um, it felt more like a jail mm -hmm. than it felt like a place for healing. Mm -hmm. There needs to, there, and yes, I understand there needs to be different um, types of environments for different stages, okay? Is it about keeping yourself alive right now? So, you, you know, of injury and harm, you know, yes. But so that, but so structurally, yes, we all know the hospital needs to be replaced that way, brick and mortar. Um, and service-wise, central versus not central, uh, I think the, the state's been doing a great, great job about getting accesses to behavioral health services kind of where and when you need them more so our remoteness uh, um, as a state. Uh, one of the things that has been put into place is, um, what are they called? The re mobile, mobile units for behavioral health. Okay. Regions of the state. And so I think this is an example where there's less dependence upon a central location than, and there are, there's work to figure out how to get to more remote and spread out to where you are. So your daughter's not put into an ambulance. And by the way, we fought that and we got her in our car, not an ambulance. <laughs> okay. Um, to get sent someplace else across the state. Um, my mind just keeps going that way. I'm going to keep me on this track. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And there's also, I know, uh, some funds that have come available through the last session, too, that are incentivizing uh, institutions, agencies across the state uh, to uh, establish um, behavioral health services and support more locally. I know that already um, Sanford and CHI across the state have been adding some beds as well, too. So I see that being the direction and want that to be the direction we continue to take to grow it out more regionally. Will we still have, should we still have at least one hospital 
yeah, I think we do. For where people are at, that may be needed, and it may be the answer, but it's not for everybody. And before you even get to the state hospital, you're working through your region regions, and depending on um, kind of what your priority is um, and what your factors are, you may stay regionally or you may go to the state because that's what you need, you know, when you need it. So, yes, we need a new facility. It looks a lot different. <laughs> it has green space. And my big thing is whenever we talk about the hospital is I want it to have puppies. <laughs> Um, everything's better with puppies so uh, green space and puppies and no barbed wire and it's beautiful but there is you know we i i foresee because we're already putting action um it's taking place for more regional services you know it's interesting as i'm listening to you talk i'm thinking about something as simple as um sunscreen so when i was little Nobody put sunscreen on me ever. And it wasn't because I wasn't loved or because everybody thought, you know what, it would be great if she could get skin cancer in her 50s, maybe. It was because nobody was wearing sunscreen. At least nobody I knew was wearing sunscreen. So I spent my childhood just burnt to a crisp. Just everyone. I, I want to touch my nose right now because I can feel the blisters yeah. on my nose. Yeah. I would love like, like we're loved. Yeah. Just, just charbroiled every summer um because i think in the 70s i don't know that people knew sunscreen was a thing or that sunburn was damaging right so okay so now flash forward because your daughters are kind of my son's age well when quinn lived at this household that boy never had a sunburn in his life because he was sunscreened within an inch of suffocation because the difference between my childhood and his was that we understood that not only do we need to talk about sunscreen but we need to be preventative about it so the whole reason i'm yes. bringing this up is because i'm thinking about a hundred years ago if somebody was acting peculiar or wasn't ascribing to the norms of what we thought regular people did or was depressed you know, if you were a woman, well, let's just give her a hysterectomy and that'll take care of that. And she's probably going to die, but whatever. And if you were a man, you might go to the state hospital and it didn't have, you, we weren't having conversations about, well, what, maybe they just need some local help or maybe, maybe we need to just be talking about it yes. and that would make a difference. Or maybe some people just tend towards melancholy and that's okay as long as we're addressing it. And maybe some people really do need very serious mental health care. And so let's provide that for them. But if we can come in, well, I'm not even 50 yet. If in 50 years we can go from it's totally fine to get third degree burns on the baby, because that's just what summer means, to let's be preventative. Why can't we also do the same thing with mental health care? Why can't somebody who's suffering find help? locally, regionally, statewide, national. It, it's, it just makes perfect sense. It's part of our whole health package. I so I'm really I, I, you talking about, yeah. you know, mobile stations that can go to the most remote places and, and access for people where they are with yeah. the understanding that maybe somebody's going to need more serious health care. It's mm -hmm. no different than 
so I've got family in Bowman. If you're in Bowman and you have a serious health issue, you start with your local yeah. or your regional clinic and hospital. And if it's deemed very, very serious, you go to Bismarck, Rapid City, or Fargo. But that's not where you start. You start locally. Yeah, yeah. I, so I love your analogy and I see a billboard with this campaign on it. <laughs> Right. Well, we got plenty of pictures of me well, yeah. covered in the head to toe outline <laughs> under my sunscreen. You know, prevention, it, that's got to be the hardest part of, you know, addressing mental health, addressing addiction. How do you prevent it? Yeah. You know, since the 80s, when they said, you know, people are dying, if we're going to start putting seatbelts in cars. In fact, my dad's first car that I remember didn't come with seatbelts. Mm -hmm. Is actually with the Ford Anglia, which is now I have cool status because that's the Weasley's flying car <laughs> in Harry Potter. In yes. Harry Potter. So yeah, I was I drove around in that car as a kid. We can't, you know. And then it was, oh, I'm not wearing a seatbelt. Now they have airbags. Don't need a seatbelt. We can't get people to wear masks or get vaccinated or get boosted. Some people. Some people. But how how difficult is that mindset when you're trying to just say, let's talk about prevent? Is it a scared thing? Are people afraid to talk about preventing mental health because they're afraid they might need it? In my, <laughs> I say, I'm sorry. I, I, I feel, I feel like it's getting easier, but I also believe a portion of that has to do with when people talk to me, they kind of know they're going to get me. And if they know some of my story, you know, our story, so I think as a response, perhaps, to knowing our lived experience, that people are more accepting of it, just naturally, perhaps, or just kind of know, because it's a part of who we are, right? Um, and I like, I don't know about any you know, really specific examples, but I think about um, my daughter's even, you know, grandparents. And... I think what they have learned through this experience as well, too, and their ability to speak more openly about, you know, health, mental health as well. Um, but yes, education is, is, is super, you know, super hard. Uh, I'm always one to go, want to go upstream. Mm. I want to get to the kids when they're younger to the families when they're forming. I just, I want to go upstream. I want to go upstream and nip it in the bud, you know, right there, you know, right there, right away. Uh, and so, which, you know, speaking of the council too, I mean, there is our North Dakota's, the council on edu education, I mean, okay, through 12 and their initiatives. And so we, uh, we collaborate with other councils as well too, because, what is happening at the K through 12 level in terms of mental health is very important as well. And you'll see that on the dashboard um, together yeah. too. Um, and I think that's my, my job. It's starting to become clear to me. <laughs> Sometimes maybe some days I think I'm just making it up. I'm telling myself it's clear to me other days. I, <laughs> I don't know, but you know, Hey, sitting here right now with you guys, it's becoming clear to me. I mean, that's, that's now my, my job is to educate, is to talk. And you said something earlier about the conversation and talking, oh, you were talking about, you know, our, our, our family and having these conversations and opening up and it must be hard. It's cathartic. It's, yeah. it's cathartic. Um, 
I'm a better person for it. Um, oh. I think my vulnerability that I have now that I didn't always have is it's, it's better for me, for my soul. Um, and if it can make a difference for others as well, then hallelujah. You know, I, I thoroughly agree with you. And I also want to add this caveat because, and I'll be curious to know if you agree. It's cathartic for me because my husband is sitting next to me as a sober man. I didn't lose him. I'm not having to go visit him in a cemetery, nor are you. I, I, I can't speak for families who lose the person who they love to mental health, behavioral health, addiction. I, I don't know where it's at for them. I certainly know that many of them figure out that their life's work is also to talk about who that person was and the, the pieces of that person that were not tied to the struggle that took them. Um, but I, I do wanna always be careful and say to people, yeah, it's, it's not easy, but it's easier to talk about this because I did not lose him. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's the blessing, that's the ultimate blessing to this work mm -hmm. is to be able to see that person, to see them come back to their fullness and then to benefit and, and bask in it. Because I, I know you feel that way about your daughter because it's how I feel about math. Yeah. You know, that's something I've had, you know, some uh, struggles with, more so processing, is um, our daughter survived. Uh, and I have lost too many people in my life to suicide death by suicide, uh, and a good number are youth. Yeah. And what their experiences are, they are just kind of, a pass are same and then kind of different of, okay, our daughter lived and now we're trying to figure out how to live with and how to recover and live in recovery. Yep. Okay. And she's the one who's really having, you know, to live in, in recovery and work her butt off. Right. Um, and I'm the one who lived in fear every day for a very long time and all my triggers. <laughs> she has her triggers. I have my triggers. Yeah. Right? You know, is she alive today when I come home and open the door and go to her room? Is she breathing today? Right. You know, so, and then, you know, the path of the lo that loss, the loss yeah. of a child, which, you know, thank goodness for blessings. But, you know, th this last, I was thinking about this. I was doing some journaling the other day. What day is it? It's Thursday. Thursday. <laughs> Monday, Sunday, Monday. I was doing some journaling. And it's been a really feels like partially heavy beginning of the new year. But then also a year uh, beginning with some clarity, as I talked about for myself here, is um, in the last two weeks, we have in our, our, our lives through college friends had um, know of two teens dying by suicide. Mm. It's wrong. It, it just angers me. Mm. It angers me yeah. that this is happening. I'm not angry at the person. No. Nope. Okay? Um, nope. 
but that that that's two there and then i go back to the week before that i had a phone call from a friend whose son shared with her that he was contemplating suicide okay that's the week before the week before that i got a call from a friend who has a mom whose daughter is cutting and concerned about her mental health that was that week the week before that a family friend self-admitted go courageous girl go self-admitted um for her health mm. uh, just it, it, on and on and yeah. on every week this year so far and i mean some people can go every you know their hours every you know every, every day i mean mm. we've had those but um like okay if i was wondering what i'm supposed to be doing <laughs> i've been looking for something to tell me oh andrea <laughs> yeah. you know i'll just i'll just add to that because i think it's where you're going i probably five or six times in the last let's say year so if daily dose is 18-ish months old 20 months maybe probably in the last year i have had moments where i've thought have we sort of said everything we need to say and i will think yeah. we probably have it's time to set it down and i swear to you every single time someone yeah. almost always a complete stranger has reached out to one of us that day and said, you don't know what this work is doing for me. You do not know what daily dose is doing for me. So I'm, I'm right there with you. There is, I call it a um, privileged burden to carry these stories. When you open the door and you let people know that you are willing to talk about it, then you become a repository for other people's fears, and failures and successes and mm -hmm. and almosts and all of those things and it is a heavy blessed burden to carry but i agree with you it is our work it is our calling mm -hmm. we were doing other things because that's the nature of where we are right now but this will eventually yeah, be what I mean, we do I, I i phoned up it at msum where i work to complain about this is about a year ago to complain about the, the scantron machine and the guy on <laughs> the other end of the phone thanked me for what Dana and I are doing. I thought, yeah, I did not expect this response. I expected, yes, we'll fix the scantron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I said, this is, is, is still a little, you know, new to me outside of, you know, my, my small group um, of, of what, what I do, where I want to go. I participated in, a virtual conference last week um, offered by the North Dakota Suicide Prevention Coalition. Okay, here's mm -hmm. something else. Okay, wow, there are so many organizations doing great work. Again, yeah. I mean, so there's this coalition in North Dakota. It's all about suicide prevention. Who knew? I mean, right. I mean you I don't know until you need it or till you yeah. bump up against it. Yep. Until you bump up against it. Exactly. And there's, there's more of them. And there was this great uh, individual, this man who spoke, and I remember his name off the top of my head. And um, he shared, he, he's been sharing for years, and I believe has started his own maybe foundation, um, which is about then uh, prevention um, and support for suicide. And he was so encouraging about using your voice, using your voice, your voice as a tool, your voice as a tool. And I'm a very data-driven, analytical mm -hmm. 
type of person. I like structure. I like to have my answers, you know, and yeah. Oh, yeah. In a good way. In a good way. You know, people need me sometimes. I use you professionally. Yes, we need you. Yeah, and and th this hasn't felt like that um, for me. And uh, when I'm, that's what I'm looking for is that clarity of you know the, the box, the neat box. And I just perhaps I just you know need to keep you know just keep talking, keep talking, tapping because it sparkles, sparkles, spark. Yeah. One of the things I want to make sure I want I do want to make sure we touch on is something that I just recently did, and I want to talk about in availability in the state and the work is a peer support specialist. Yes, let's yes. end on that, Andrea. I was yeah. going to ask you about that too. Yeah, so I, I know, I'm not sure if that's something that's been talked about, you know, here on your daily not with us. because, no. okay, because a lot of peer support specialists, uh, this is not a new concept. It's new to North Dakota in the last, I believe, three-ish years, so please forgive me anybody who's out there and I'm getting this not quite right, but um, it's been a, a role work that's been national for about like 20 years. So again, North Dakota is a little bit behind in getting them here, but we have them now and it's going strong, uh, but there's a great opportunity and need here. So peer support specialists um, are people who have a lived experience and provide support to others in recovery through their lived experience. And so I, I'll go just use, I'll go to my brain injury here right now because that's my recovery. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, mine is, I know what it's like to have this sense of loss or ambiguous loss because I'm not able to do my job that I was doing, you know, anymore type of a thing. I know what it's like to be out in public and not be able to have the conversation I used to have because I'm struggling with my thoughts and my words and processing and everything like that. So I can relate to somebody else very much that way on their path of recovery. And how awesome is it, you know, when you have somebody else that you can relate to mm -hmm. um, those shared lived experiences. So a peer support person has this level of rapport uh, and we've been trained on supporting others in their journey in their recovery. And it's that person's you know, journey of re recovery. Um, we just try to support them to what the life they want to live uh, and help them improve their quality of life. So North Dakota has trained nearly 700 people across the state, 700, nearly 700. That's like 1% of our population. That's great. It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. Okay. And the objective is that these peer support specialists help take weight, one, weight off of um, uh, care teams. Because uh, we have a different type of support, different level of support than if, it, you know, we're in, you know, a diagnosing recovery or an immediate recovery. It's like, you know what? I've been diagnosed. And now I'm going to walk this path of recovery, you know, with you and help you and support you and be that peer for you. And peers can be employed. Peers are being employed uh, at agencies. Um, they can be employed at hospitals. They can be employed at, you know, schools. They can be, I mean, truly businesses in your within HR area, organizational development. And so they're used for people, recovery being substance use. Um, you know, mental health, uh, you know, family supports, um, like I said, brain injury. 
So there's lots of places people can be employed as a peer support. Um, one of the challenges is that uh, agencies who often would use somebody uh, in this role don't necessarily have the funds or the budgeted funds for them. Mm -hmm. uh, peer support specialists can be reimbursed and billable through Medicaid. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, but they have to be 1915I approved or go through this other step to get 1915I approved. And then they can bill for the services of a peer support through it. Oh. Okay. And so it's very confusing. As so all things trying, trying to figure it out. But what yeah. I know is that I completed this training for peer support specialists. Um, I went through it thinking about how can I improve my ability to be a resource and support to other family members um, through my lived experience with mental health, right? I'm already getting phone calls. <laughs> People are already finding me. Um, and then what I also found out going through it was, wait a minute, I'm learning about recovery uh, and this works for my own recovery as well, too, with brain injury, you know, with my sense of loss and my change and my ability to commit to change and acceptance, perhaps. Um, and I was surrounded in that room when I completed it. There's about 30 of us who went through it at one point in time. And I would say, just guess, I'm just going to guess um, about probably 75 plus percent of the people that are taking it. We're all, we're all taking it because we have our lived experiences, but I would say either have as primary or dual diagnosis with substance use disorder, right? Mm. And um, I was blown away by the passion of the people wanting to help and the hearts. And it, it's seriously, it's just, it's just like cry for like how amazing everybody was, you know, every day for the five days, you know, in this training and what the gifts they have to give. Um, I'm now working uh, with a small group on helping the peer support specialist uh, advance in North Dakota through uh, creating an association. And again, um, have had some small meetings and the passion around the work is so great. I, I think this is going to devolve into something for the state of North Dakota to be a great, great benefit, again, to remote areas of the state, uh, support systems to help people stay in recovery and live their best lives. Yeah. So I think something to watch watch for uh, peer support specialist and to get behind it. Thank you for bringing that up. I'll put the link in when we get off. I don't wanna search for it while we're talking. Andrea, this has been, oh my gosh, um, it's fantastic. just really remarkable. Thank you so much for sharing your personal story, sharing what you're uncovering in this professional capacity. I'm so, I'm so, um, thrilled to see how well you are doing. I know these years have been difficult to put it mildly and you are, wow, you are a perfect example of somebody who was handed a number of lemons, and you seem to be making pretty incredible <laughs> yes, lemonade out indeed. of them. <laughs> well, all I can do to support and join forces with you guys out here to kind of you know, you know free the stigma that comes with uh, you know uh, mental behavioral health, um, substance use disorder being a part of that. You know, free the stigma, free the shame, and you know, live you know amazing lives and help the next generation. So. Yeah.
Yeah. Well, well, thank you. We will be in touch again, but thank you so, so much for joining us. Good uh, and have a good day. We'll talk to you. Take care. Everyone else, we will see you next Tuesday. Have an excellent weekend and really look into these sources. We'll get the other links up as soon as we end. As soon as we end. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to Daily Dose of Dr. Mary and DD. If you enjoyed the content and want to learn more, head over to Facebook to Daily Dose Dr. Mary DD. You can find us on YouTube under Dana DelVal. And if you want to get signed up for our weekly newsletter, email me at D-A-Y-N-A at D-A-Y-N-A-D-E-L-V-A-L.com. Have a great day. We hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.